and uh, <clears throat> to review where we are, uh, there's a whole part of the book that was believing that God has sent you. Remember, we want to believe that. Um, God is at work. The gospel is good news. There's titles and job descriptions, and we have supernatural power. What were the four? Do you remember? Does anyone remember the four job descriptions, titles? What were those? Ambassador, Ambassador right? Fisherman. A, a fisherman, a farmer. And a priest. Remember, we can pray for other people. So those are different ones like that. Um, the gospel is good news. So that's the first part of the book. And then the second part of the book is um, if you believe that God has sent you, so what's it like to live as a sent person? And last time we talked about um, <clears throat> the. this is the six parts of this book, part of the book. The world we are sent to. And remember that there's people who are on a spectrum from A to Z. Not everybody is ready to accept Jesus. Not everybody's ready to hear the four spiritual laws. Some people don't even know whether God, they're not confident that they could even know whether God exists. And so we, we need to understand that the world is like that. And our goal is just to, to try to have a conversation that gives us permission to have another conversation. So that's where that was. And then the... Uh, Remember to remove people toward, move toward people through prayer. Find out where a person is spiritually and what they need to next to move forward. And then have the conversation ending with a goal and desire of having the next and future conversation. So those are the suggested steps. And remember the helpful hints were that the journey is not always a straight line. Be bold but respectful. Always remember to pray. Watch for suffering people at different stations in their life are more sensitive. Um, if they're not interested, then talk about what God has done in your life. And then, so if they don't want to hear anything about Jesus, you just say, well, God has sure been blessing me. And then um, sometimes, even if a person is not ready at all to respond to the gospel, it's still helpful to explain it to them so that they know what they're dealing with. So those were the things that we got from that part of the a book. And so then we started this, what do you see? Remember from John 4, when Jesus says, look at the, the harvest. And, and so uh, several of you, I think about seven or eight, signed up for a random daily reminder. What did you see? Did anybody have anything, to, any stories to tell? Did that, did that work for you this week? You can still sign up if you want. Just send me your email uh, send me your phone number and who your carrier is. So like Verizon or T-Mobile, um, so far that's all we have. So I need to know those two things and then I can put you in the system and sometime between 8 in the morning and 8 at night, you will get a text that says, what do you see? And then I include that verse from John 4. But did anyone have any experience or did that work for you at all? To, the goal is not to make you witness to somebody. The goal is just to open your eyes to the harvest, right? To be a reminder. Anybody have any stories? Joel? Donna? I'll let you first, Donna. So the three of them that stand out, the first one came, I was sitting in a big room with a bunch of caseworkers from Kent County Friend of the Court. Friend of the Court's the arm that collects child support. That's back. I mean, like, owed, nobody, people aren't paying. 
So there's about 10 workers who weren't really working very hard or fast, and a whole bunch of people that needed to come and have an appointment and talk about what they owed and what they're going to do and when they're going to pay, and you got to pay something today or you're going to jail, and just the sad condition that they found themselves in. The second one came, I was in an interview with a couple people from Cuba, one who escaped Castro, because he had been in part of his government and then saw things and didn't like him and said so and left. Came here on a visa, brought here political asylum through the United Nations, and he's being persecuted in the area he lives because he's not white. And so that was hard to see this guy in. Then the last one was yesterday. I'm driving along and there's a man and a woman. I only noticed them. They're at a bus stop. The only reason I noticed them because the woman was completely dressed in black from head to toe, head to toe, her face covered from Iran. And it, that there's people who live among us that are from different countries and are the oppression and the false religion that Islam is and especially to her as a, as a female, it just made me look and see that there are people who need us and then we need to find some way to reach these people. And to reach her it might be really difficult, but just, just the fact that there's a variety of people in a variety of hard life situations that maybe could just use a friend. So that that's super helpful to see to see people and to be reminded that they're people created in God's image and for whom the Lord Jesus would want to call them and if they're they're ordained unto eternal life that they would believe and and so they they are we should look at them the way Jesus does. That's good. Joel. I think all but one of the texts came when I was by myself. The one text that I was actually with somebody, I was having lunch with my friend Lucas. And Lucas is basically my younger brother. He's got red hair. He's an engineer just like I am. Um, he's got a very sweet disposition or demeanor. And he's also a believer. And I know the intention of the what you see is uh, about the harvest, but it was fortuitous at that time because he and I were just talking about our faith and um, talking about um, the gospel and LGBTQ stuff because our we both went to Calvin University or Calvin College. Calvin College has been quite accommodating and quite accepting of the wrong view of things. So um, so both he and I were sort of lamenting that and talking about what it looks like to be a Christian in light of all that stuff. And I was able to share with him a link to our podcast, and he was going to listen to it. So Lucas is a believer, a strong Christian, and he was just an encouragement to me to be with in that time. That, hey, you know, our church is not the only group of believers in the area. There's people who go to other churches who are part of other denominations that are also steadfast, stalwart, faithful to Jesus Christ. Good. Anyone else? Larry? I think when I would get the Texas, I'm always alone because I'm pretty much, oh, I work alone. I... I got one of the texts while I was driving. The other two 
my phone was sitting idle, but I was driving. So I happened to kind of look around and we were all, me too, as I was driving, going about doing our busyness. Some people, you can tell, are a me first. They're weaving in and out of traffic. They're cutting people off. But just saw busyness and just wondering how many know the Lord, how many, how many care about others. Yeah, I often, sometimes at the mall or whatever, you, you just watch the marketplace at work and I think about wisdom calling out in the streets and say, if anyone will listen to me, you know, and that you do see the masses and they're individuals, they're not just irritants, they're people. It's an interesting thing to be reminded of. So, Royce, did you have one? What I found, a number of times I was by myself, the doctor's office, and <clears throat> what I saw was my response to that text. Oh, not again. And it was revealing to me my attitude that <clears throat> I'm not opening my eyes with the loving, the love of Christ. It's just that, oh, what do we do? Going witness to all these people? What do you, you know, I just, and then I said, oh, that reflected on me. What I saw was, God's got to do a lot of work in my life. Yeah, we can, we can be irritated by these things and, uh, in our spiritual formation group this week, we we're discussing that God uses, we can view anger, irritation as a signal. Oh, oh, something I've not given to the Lord is coming back up again. And so it's sort of a, an early warning system, so that's good. Okay, well, if you are interested in joining that challenge, is again, it's just once a day text, and you can turn, you tell me to turn it off if you want to. Um, I've been trying to find tools that generate a random event, and so I've, I'm getting a little bit better at it, but um, <clears throat> sometime between 8 in the morning or 8 at night, you just get this one text, and you can't, if you do answer it, I don't get it. It doesn't go to anybody. It's, it's, it's like a, it's an email that turns into a text, so some carriers will follow it through with a reply, but mine, Verizon doesn't. I tried replying and it never comes back. So it looks like it's a text from church at wpbiblefellowship.org, right? Is that where you get it from the email address? So. so that's a cool thing to do, and just as a reminder for us. So then um, the next part of the book is a whole chapter on gathering and caring. And there's a number of examples of how you can open your home and your life to your neighbors. And it's really intense and gut-wrenching and more than we want to talk about today. So I am going to delay the conversation about this until some future date. So we're just going to skip this chapter. Partly because I'm afraid that we'll all think we've got to do that too. And right now we're just trying to do baby steps, right? We're just trying to be good at outreach. And so the idea of opening our homes and inviting people is super good, but not, um, I'm not ready. And so I, I think we want to talk about that later. So I think it's a good idea. 
I just want to put a pen in that topic and come back to it, okay? So then the next part of the book is the easiest questions to ask. And so uh, these are, again, this is not from the Bible. This is from these two experienced evangelists telling about how they go about their life and how they try to reach ones. They're the authors of this book, the sent ones, right? And so this is what their experience has taught them seems to be the easiest questions to ask. So the first one is, what does your tradition say about Jesus? And so this is a really good way to talk to somebody who, from any foreign environment or in, any um, uh, person who seems to be religious and you don't know what religion they're from. You could just, you just say, what does your tradition say about Jesus? And so you're not arguing with them. You're being curious. You're just asking a question, which is super informative. Does that make good sense? Do you think you could ask somebody that? It doesn't seem too intimidating to me. And so um, this is a good way to go. Okay? The next question they say is, uh, that they use quite often, is do you consider yourself on a spiritual journey? <clears throat> what is that like? And where are you on that journey? So those are follow-up questions, I suppose, if they say yes. So do you consider yourself on a spiritual journey? And if you think about it, probably just about everybody would say yes to that, especially if they're at all aware of things. If a person would say no, that's ridiculous, then that tells you that they're way on step A, right? They haven't even begun a spiritual life. But, um, but that's an interesting thing. So where are you on your spiritual journey? What is it like? Where are you on that journey? So what is it like? And the person will open up and tell you about things in their life that they're struggling with or, or you know. Uh, so I think this is a good question too. I like that one. And then, <clears throat> do you have any prayer requests that I might commit to pray for? So this is that idea of us being a, um, a priest, right? That anybody, just about everybody would be willing to say yes to this. Even if they don't believe in prayer, it's funny how they'll they don't mind somebody else praying for them. And so um, that's a good question to ask. And then, can I tell you something that I just learned from the Bible that's changing how I handle, then you fill in the blank. You know, so if you've been working in your life and, and say, um, <clears throat> for me right now it might be, can I tell you something that I just learned from the Bible that's changing how I handle my anger? I've been, you know, in our spiritual formation group, we've been talking about how to control our temper and what's the best way to deal with it. And, and so can I, would you mind if I share with you from the Bible something that I'm learning that's changing my life? And now that's a pretty brave kind of question to ask, but if you think about it from their perspective, it's not necessarily very intimidating, right? You're not creating an argument. You're not condemning them. You're not trying to, persuade them to believe something you're just asking them to for permission to talk about how God is working in your life so I think that's really super um, effective and then the fifth question we kind of did last week a little bit is what question do you wish people would ask you what question do you wish people would ask you about yourself because people want to be heard and uh, this is just a kind way to be curious about another person 
and to ask them, you know, what, what are you into? What, what's, a, what, what's something that you would like to talk about? So those are the five questions that I've picked up from the book. Does, which one of those do you think would be easiest for you to ask? So I'll go back and get the other ones too. So what does your tradition say? Do you consider yourself on a journey? Do you have any prayer requests? Can I tell you something that God's doing for me? Or what question do you wish people would ask you? Any thoughts? David? I like number three. What a great way to uh, start a conversation with non-believers. It, it's so simple. Do you have any prayer requests? Can I pray for you in any way? It's, it's, that's so easy. It's an easy door to open. And then, of course, depending on the type of prayer request, it could open more pathways, right? You know, yeah, my right, my mom is really sick in the hospital, and you say, "Oh, really? What's the matter?" And so, you know, so that's a caring, loving thing. Any other thoughts on what question might be easiest for you, or which one you would like? You don't have to memorize these, and there's again, this is not magic. This is just advice from really effective. Um, soul winners for the best evangelists. Okay? All right. And then they say the easiest story to tell. So they, first of all, gave questions to ask, right? And then they encourage you to develop two stories, the easiest story to tell. And so this is your own story. And so they, first of all, um, the one author is a literary professor, right? So she's really, she's into this, but she would say that the parts of a good story are the before, the struggle, the after the struggle, and then a scripture verse to explain what happened. And so if you would organize your own personal story of salvation, what it was like before. I was, I was, a young man, I had been growing up in the church, and I had, um, I, I thought I knew who Jesus was, but I was struggling with sin, and I really thought that there's no way I could be a Christian if, if I was still doing these things and without any victory at all, and and so I just, you know, I would swear, I would, you know. Uh, had lost in my life, and so this is what I was before, and I, so that was the struggle. I had a tension. I don't know what to do, and then I was prompted to ask Jesus into my heart as an adult, as a as a more mature person, and so I I I was embarrassed because I know that when I was a little boy, I asked Jesus to save me multiple times, and it's not that I don't trust Him, but maybe I didn't understand it. Maybe I didn't really do it right, and so. I submitted and I said to God, you know, would, if I've never done this right before, I want you to know that as a, an abstract thinking adult, I'm 15, I'm a little bit grown or grown up, I really do believe in you, Jesus, and I do give you my life, and I do trust you for salvation. And after that, I didn't ever struggle with doubts about my salvation experience anymore. And so I could share a verse that would be... Um, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, you know, he 
you know, we love because he first loved us. And it's not a matter of me holding on to him. It's him holding on to me. And so he has saved me. So that would be an example how I would use those four things to tell my testimony. You follow? So that's the advice that they give. And then they also suggest that you, you kind of work on two stories. One story is your rescue story. And the other story might be how you're maturing as a believer. So depending on who and how you're talking to somebody, if it's a new person you don't know very well, and they're early in their faith journey, then you would want to explain your rescue story. But if it was somebody that was maybe more religious and they wondered or they doubt the reality of God in your life, then you could tell a more recent maturing story. So that's the two kinds of stories that they recommend that you develop. And as part of our spiritual formation group, semester one, we do work on trying to do this. But the part that I like about their material is that you include a scripture. And we didn't do that in our spiritual formation group. So next time we need to go work on that a little bit more. But to, because the power of the gospel is not going to come from our story. It's going to come from God's word. But we can model and show our submission to God's word through our story. And it's an easy story to tell. And it's our story. And we have the details and we, can, we don't have to memorize it. We just kind of got to keep ourselves sort of what the outline might be so we know where to go. And so that's the two things that they recommend. So, so those, in light of that, I wanted to, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to read to you the story from the wife in this couple that wrote the book. I'll read those two stories, okay? So, and you can kind of get an examples of those. And so I have to scrunch up my nose so I can read my close text here. All right, so this is the rescue story. I knew I needed rescue February of my freshman year at the University of Virginia. I was making a mess of my life by dating the wrong boys, drinking at fraternity parties, and exhausting myself trying to have the perfect grades and the perfect skinny figure. One morning, I sat crying in my dorm room with my brown hair matting my face. I was so depressed and so ashamed. My roommate had been playing a Christian worship song, and hearing that music made me realize how distant I was from God. I grew up knowing about Jesus. I understood that I was a sinner who needed a Savior at 12 years old, and I was even baptized at church. But I had wandered so far from God and was living my own independent way. That morning, I knew I needed to return to God. I opened my childhood Bible and read John 10.10, 10, where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The life I was living wasn't full. It was empty. That day, I got on my knees on that scratchy dorm carpet, and I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin once again. I asked him to take control of my whole life and to make me into the woman I was supposed to be. When I got up off my knees with my tears stream with tears streaming down my face, I felt different inside. I knew the Holy Spirit was now leading and directing my life. I felt God's presence and love for me. To this day, that passage in John means so much to me. Jesus is our good shepherd who will lead us and give us life to the full. I also know that Jesus really was with me, just as it says in John 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay. 
So what did you notice about that story? Any critiques or suggestions? I know. Okay, let me get let me get the mic to you. I can I can cough again for a while. I said it was simple and clear, and she made her point quickly. Other observations from her story? She remembered back to um, remembering that she had been introduced to Christ and that uh, it didn't take a lot to prompt her to return. Um, but she needed that prompting, apparently. So she shows that even though she had been exposed to religion and things like that before, she, God prompted her through this. She reached a crisis, right? Remember the parts of the story? She had reached a struggle and a crisis, and she knew she was in trouble. And then that song reminded her that God would care, and she, she realized that her life was empty. And then she quoted those verses, which is super helpful for an unbeliever. So she followed her own advice, right? She gave, she gave the struggle, the before, the struggle, the after, and some scripture. Did you notice the inclusion of details like a brown hair, tear-stained face, scratchy carpet? Those are uh, intriguing things that a really good writer would do and but she would argue that being those are the kinds of hooks that catch people's ears. Stories work, and the details make a story work in our lives. And so stories are powerful. And so it would not hurt for me to say that I was, in my little story, when I was 15, I was in the upper deck of a huge Cobo Hall in Detroit with people all around, and it was... It was, you know, quiet in spite of the fact that there was so many people. And there was, you know, so I could give details that would make it real. And without even noticing, the listener picks up more parts of the story. It connects with our whole being. Jesus was a master storyteller. The Bible is mostly stories. If you think, most of the Bible is story. And so stories are pretty powerful and they're a good, they're a good thing to use. Okay. Any more thoughts on that? Let me read you the, the rescue. That was the rescue story from her. And so then this is a story of maturing. Okay, so this is her story too, which is a little bit more, um, the difference between the rescue story is it could be years and years ago, right? The maturing story can be today almost. It feels that way. All right, so here she is again. She said, when I turned 40, I couldn't believe how bad I felt inside. I had what psychologist Lawrence Slater calls the ache for something I cannot name. I was filled with jealousy and comparison about every other woman's perfect life. And I found myself fighting for a seat at these tables I thought would bring me life. The thin and beautiful table, the rich and famous table, and the high achieving table. But on a summer day in late July, I sat on a balcony as I read a passage of scripture that would change nearly everything about me. In Ephesians 2, a man named Paul wrote a letter to encourage Christians with the essentials of everything they would need for their new life with Jesus. He wrote this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when, one, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I noticed so many things about my life in that passage of Scripture. I was spiritually dead before knowing Jesus. I was following the path of the world and not God. I also knew that God saved me and made me alive in Christ, and he rescued me because of Jesus and showed mercy and grace to me, though I deserved his wrath. But then I noticed that strange expression that God raised me up with Christ and seated me with Jesus. I noticed that seated is a past tense verse meaning it's already something somehow true of me. This verse was telling me that I was already seated at the greatest table with the greatest king. I didn't have to fight for a seat at the table anymore. I was already there. And remember how I wanted to be thin, rich, and accomplished? My therapist calls those the three A's, appearance, affluence, and achievement. Instead of fighting for three A's, I now live a seated life. Seated people adore and radiate the beauty of Christ instead of obsessing over their appearance. They access the riches of God's kingdom instead of worrying about effluence. And they abide instead of achieving to produce the good works God has prepared for them. I became a different person that July. Have you ever struggled with fighting for a seat at the table? What do you think of this invitation from God? to take our seat with Jesus. So what do you notice from that story? And she had a lot of examples out of her own life, but put them in a way that, you know, those three things, uh, appearance, those three A things, uh, help would help people to understand. It gives them a picture, a verbal picture of what's going on. Yeah, I, I re it's the second or third time I've read the story, but the appearance, affluence, and accomplishment, right? The, yeah, and achievement, and those, um, those really are the th things that make a lot of people tick, right? I want to be pretty. I want to be rich, I want to be powerful. And those are the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and, you know, the pride of life. I mean, they're, you know, they've been around for a long time. But she told them in a very vulnerable and yet honest way. Other observations about the story? Yeah, Dawn. It just helps you realize that we're 
none of us are, are perfect. We're never going to be there until we get to heaven. And so it helps you realize that um, we're all growing in Christ. And he cares about the details of our lives and will help us through it. I like that too because she's, here she is sharing a story of how she's maturing in Christ to an unbeliever in a way that communicates, oh wow, uh, believers aren't perfect or trying to pretend that they are yet either, right? So God's still working all the time. I think that's a really cool and important backstory behind the story, right? That we are showing ourselves as learners and growers still needing Jesus and even still. And, you know, I liked it. She also did it, like I think John said too, she did a really good job of identifying those three idols that people pursue and she caught you. She never accused you of any of those things, right? These are the things that are attracting me. I wanted to be so beautiful and it was, I couldn't get a seat at that table. I've, I've used this example several times since in conversations. Remember wanting to sit at the table in the cafeteria in high school, right? I never was at the cool table. But I'm at the right table now, and I'm at Jesus' table. And I thought of Psalm 23, he sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies even. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of ways you could go with that same kind of story. Other thoughts about the story? Did you notice? Lots of scripture, but it all made sense. So that was cool too. Okay. Any other thoughts on that? All right. So the last thing that we wanted to talk about from this middle part of the book is inviting a response. When do we actually ask a person, are you ready? And this might be the hardest part in some ways. Maybe the hardest part is to start the conversation. But one of the reasons I'm afraid to start the conversation is because I don't know where to go and I don't know how to land the plane. It frightens me a little bit. How do I get? Well, nice day. You know, how do you stop talking about the king of glory, the king almighty? And Well, you know, how do you get off the plane? And, um, and so I struggle with that. But having a, a game plan in your mind for the, I hate to use the word game plan, it sounds so crass or manipulative, but having a, th a thought pattern is to consider how to invite a response. And so one of, uh, one of the ways that they find most effective is to say something along the line is, has anyone taken a few minutes to share with you a short outline of how you can know God personally? Would you like to take a few minutes now to do so? So just, it's not, would you like to believe in Jesus I think that's what I would have made the accident of saying. Are you ready to believe in Jesus? I, I, this is a better way to say it. Would you like someone, has anyone ever taken the time to explain to you how you can know God personally? And if they say no, or yes, would you like to take a few minutes now to do so? So you're asking them for permission to let you explain the gospel. If they say yes, then you would just tell the gospel the number of tools you could use, but A, B, C, all of sin, 
believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Confess with your mouth, and you're saved, right? So, so it's just the simple part of the gospel. We don't need to make the gospel fancier than that because the power of the gospel is the fact that it's the foolishness to men. It's uh, the power of God. A little child can believe it. So that's how they would say how to land the plane a little bit. And then the next thing is in your mind, what do you do next? What if they say yes, and then you explain the gospel to them, and then they say, and they say, yeah, I want to believe in Jesus. And so you, you, you help them either by praying with them or just saying it's super easy. You just tell Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross for my sins, and I receive you. I believe you, and I, I, I give you my life. Please take over. You be the Lord of my life. There's a hundred. There's no magic words, right? And so, what do you do next? They say, celebrate with them. Hey, this is so great. Teach them the basics. What you get to do now is you can pray to God, and he, you know He'll hear you, and you can read His Bible and know He's speaking to you. So those are the basics, right? You encourage them. Invite them to church. You, you know, you need to be part of a group of people who believe this. This is what Jesus did, is he wants you to join a church or be part of a church. And it's not just for you, it's for them too. The church needs you there. You're part of Jesus' family now, and they need you and your contribution. So invite them to church. Introduce them to other believers. Super helpful, right? It spreads the load right away that you're not their only priest. You're not their only contact, right? You... They need to understand that there's other believers too. And then um, explain to them that you, you know, Jesus has saved you. Now you're a sent one. He's sending you in the world. He wants you to tell others about him. That's what we're here for. And then um, as the Lord gives you opportunity, you would meet with them and encourage their growth. And so you just made a disciple, right? And so you're going to be part of trying to plug them into church. And, you know, there's, it's, when you're a when you're a grandparent like I am, I have children, and then I have my children's children. I'm not directly responsible for everything. I don't have to feed every one of my descendants. And sometimes I think we have this odd thinking that because we led somebody to the Lord that we're somehow obligated to be the one who changes their diaper and feeds them and makes their schedule for the from now on to eternity. And that's not true at all, right? We, we're not burdened with a bigger and bigger workload. We are, we are helping a person be born into the family of God, and Jesus takes care of them. They're not our direct responsibility. And so I wouldn't want you to think that just because you lead somebody to the Lord that they forever have 911 access to your life, right? I mean, that doesn't mean you can never be free, right? They're, they're just another brother and sister in the Lord. Okay? So that's that's chapter two, excuse me, that's section two of the book, Living Like a Sent Person. And sometime in the future we'll do part three, and sometime in the future we'll go back and do part two, that grouping, that group and caring thing. So those are somewhere down the road. Any thoughts, final closing thoughts or anything? Katie? I'll be right there.
Uh, I was just thinking on that last point about landing the plane. Uh, when I, I had a friend, her name was Jessica, and she came to me asking me to teach her about the Bible. And uh, with Dad's recommendation, we were going through the book of Mark, and we're getting towards the end, and you said to me, you need to ask Jessica if she wants to get saved. And I was so terrified because we were friends and all these things. And um, I was bringing her to church. And the first Sunday I brought her, you used her as an example in your sermon. You know, like it was going so poor. You didn't know that was her. You didn't know that she was there, you know. And so and she's such a rock star. Anyways, we're getting towards the end. And Dad's like, you need to ask her. And I was so nervous. And I did an absolutely horrible job. I did so bad. And I said, Jess, do you want to get saved? And she's like, yeah, I do. And I was like, okay, but like, you're going to have to stop drinking probably. And you should just quit, you know, doing all these other things that you're doing. And she's like, I don't care. I want to get saved. And so I think it's so important to remember that Jesus is doing all of the work and that Jesus saved Jessica, and Jesus started a work in Jessica, and he is faithful to complete it. Um, and in what you just said, that last part, like, I'm not responsible for her for the rest of my life, you know, and she went through a season of tremendous growth, and then through a very dark desert, and now she's doing very, very well, and I'm happy. I ran into her the other day, and uh, she's involved in a good church, and she has a good husband and two beautiful little boys. Jesus is doing the work, and straight up, I just had to say, okay. Yeah, such a good way to end our, our conversation tonight. It's, we are not the progenitor. We're, we're the, what's the person called that delivers a baby? Midwife. A midwife. We're the midwife, right? Jesus is the one who produces the new birth. And, and we get to be there and... Um, we aren't the dad. We're not the mom. We're a brother and sister. Okay? Father in heaven, thank you so much for this truth that you are sending us, that you have people that you already are working in their lives, and they, they're just, you're working, and they're just waiting for somebody to ask them. And so give us the courage and the insight to ask these good questions, to to help lead them to a place where they're ready to decide and to show them the way, just that you showed us. Help us to do a good job of developing our own stories so that we can explain the gospel well. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. You are dismissed.